This is The Coolest Show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know, keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know, in your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know, it's the Hip Hop Caucus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us for The Coolest Show, Season 4, Year and Review. I am Dewan Cross, uh, one of the producers of The Coolest Show. I am here to just, you know, give you all a great recap of this amazing season, amazing, amazing, amazing season uh, that we had in Season 4. We definitely exceeded goals that we planned for, um, one of those being the, you know, just the, just the streams, you know what I'm saying? Just the streams. We had a goal for season three of uh, 50,000 streams. And then I think we ended up landing around uh, 100,000. So we doubled that, you know, uh, we're still growing. Then so for season four, uh, we had a goal of 100,000 streams and we surpassed that goal. We surpassed that goal in like episode 28 or nine. Um, and we're still tallying the final. But the last time I checked, we were at about 130,000 uh, streams um, and listens and everything. So thank you all. Thank you all for continuing to support, for continuing to email, uh, tweet, Instagram, you know, just contact us. Let us know who you all uh, would like us to speak to, uh, just different things and events, uh, campaigns that's going on in local communities. Um, one of our big things here at The Coolest Show is that, you know, we want to help amplify, you know, things that's going on in our communities. We don't always have those platforms to speak so freely. So that's one of the main reasons why The Coolest Show was, uh, you know, created or that and also to connect, you know, communities to each other to find out who's who and what's what and where's where and how can we all connect to each other and, you know, just continue to support each other and everything like that. So shout out to Rev Yearwood, uh, shout out to Destiny Hodges and shout out to Tomorrow Toes O'Laughlin, our producers and host of The Coolest Show. Uh, you know, I appreciate you all so much. Um, definitely check out our producers roundtable episodes where we break down and go in, you know, way more detail and depth than what I'm speaking of right now. But just our 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 purpose, our goals and our objectives and our agendas and, you know, things like that. And so you can just really get to understand the the core of the coolest show, especially if look, all you got to do is, is research the folks that's involved and you're going to get it. You're going to understand the foundation. You're going to understand the core. It's not even going to be a. a a misunderstanding at that point. You're going to understand what we're about. So uh, <laughs> definitely on that side. And I would like to definitely give a shout out to our marketing team, uh, Jarrell Clay and Brandon Edwards. Thank you all for, you know, just consistently showing up every week <laughs> for the watch parties that, you know, if you haven't some, you know, some folks uh, listen to the podcast in audio form. Some folks, like to listen to the podcast or like like to actually watch the video of the podcast. I'm kind of both. Um, and so we do watch parties, um, you know, throughout the season. 
And our wonderful marketing team, um, you know, sets all of that up, uh, you know, and, and that's already ready to go. And so I appreciate them for that. And it's just bringing so many more eyes and so much more awareness to the coolest show. Um, and yeah, just thank you to the Hip Hop Caucus overall, the organization, um, as we, you know, stay aligned in our mission. And the podcast is just a reflection, you know, of the overall mission and values of, you know, this uh, wonderful organization. So, yeah. So now let's get into some clips. Yeah. <laughs> let's get into some clips. So our first clip is from our first episode of the season. It features Headcrack, who is also the artist that you hear performing the theme song for The Coolest Show. And here we listen to Rev and Headcrack talk about, you know, just bridging the culture and climate and, and utilizing, you know, hip hop and our culture to advance in the movement. Do you think that we can use our culture to create change? the way that we need to? Or are there forces that are in play that will pull that to a stop if it gets too serious? I definitely believe that there are forces in play that'll pull that. And, it's, and, it, and the thing is, it's it's unraveling from multiple angles, okay? So when you talk about hip-hop, right, a lot of radio stations and media outlets will... Support or not support an artist based on relevancy. Hmm. Okay. So let's just say if the only hip hop activist voice you know of is Chuck D, but you don't know about Immortal Technique, you don't know about, uh, you know, Dead Prez and the things that they're doing in the health and wellness space, the stuff that Styles P does in the health and wellness space. A lot of these people don't even get the opportunity to speak on larger formats sometimes because uh, they ain't hot right now. And when you look at the people who are making that decision as to who's hot right now and who isn't, it's like, yo, you're not qualified to say that or make that or 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 have that opinion. That part frustrates me a lot. And that's why I work harder to try to get these voices on my platform, you know, when the opportunities present themselves. Because we do such a great job of throwing these heroes away. Because mm. like a Harry Belafonte was never allowed to be thrown away because we didn't do that to... Yeah, no, we were there to protect it, that process. Right. You know what I'm saying? So there's something about, for whatever reason, hip-hop, like, you know, if you haven't had a hot record in a few years, it's like your opinion doesn't matter. Why should we listen to you? Why should we put them on this radio station and let them talk? They they haven't done nothing in a while. Oh, such and such as old ass? Like, yo, like, we don't celebrate the fact that these people have, like, circled the block a few times and maybe seen some things that we haven't and give them the opportunity to speak. And we're doing that to ourselves. That mentality that a lot of these, you know, gatekeepers that, you know, have created on a corporate side, that mentality has spilled into the youth to a degree to where, no one who is like 13 through, let's say, 24 wants to hear anything that anyone 45 and up has to say. And these are the people who have lived and seen the things on the other side of the hill that eventually you're going to get to. Mm. So I definitely think that creates a large problem because it makes it very difficult for us to appoint these elder statesmen as the people who are going to really speak for us 
and speak to us as a culture because we're quick to write them off. And I, and I think that's terrible because like we're the only culture that I feel like that really does that actively. Mm. And I've, and I've seen that play out so many times and I've gotten into so many arguments with so many people in positions of power because I, I, I'm not okay with letting y'all do this to our voices, to the people that inspired me, to the people that inspired you at some point. So it, it's a never ending fight. And the thing is, as more people like us get these opportunities to have our platforms, aside from the other things, it does give those, those beacons that allow these voices to be heard. And I, and I think that's a plus size, but we know, but we, we, we got to let these people who want to lead, we at least got to hear them out. Yeah. Because we'll be quick to throw a person away. Like, you know, even when T.I. tries to be, you know, Mountain Luther, Mountain Luther T.I., you know what I'm saying? Like, but, but, <laughs> man, but what about when you was, you know, when, <laughs> when you have a menage a trois tip, you know, like, but like, yo, but later for that, let the man live. But what he's trying to tell you is valid. <laughs> you know, we're always, you know, like if Jesus came back today, we call him crazy and kill him. Mm, facts. Because we don't trust nothing and we don't trust nobody. Well, well technically again, because he was killed the first time. But yeah. Exactly. <laughs> We'd kill him again. We would kill him again. He might have already been here. <laughs> he would. Our next clip is from our 19th episode from season four, uh, which was also our highest stream episode this season. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, maybe of all time, but it is the Inflation Reduction Act Roundtable um, that was hosted by uh, Tamara Tozo Laughlin, uh, who's one of our amazing producers here again. Um, and Tamara interviewed uh, Rihanna Gunn-Wright, Dana Johnson, and Bishop Marcia Dinkins. The media narrative around the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the context we're in, varies really greatly. But what we know now is that it's a compromise bill between Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senator Joe Manchin. It also represents a record release of funds from decarbonization, electrification, energy efficiency, research and development, vehicle transportation, and forests, among other things. We talk a lot about all those issues on this podcast. So from just the spaces that I've been in, the big controversy is number one, you know, those of us who have been on the front lines and in, in, in organizing and engaging our communities around, you know, climate, um, the climate crisis, you know, um, the environmental impacts. It feels like this is just the beginning. You know, the, the narrative is making it like it's this monumentous thing that's going to be like the, the, the be all, save all. And, and that this is a stop. This is just a start. And the truth is, you know, a lot of people are, um, as you said, having these mixed emotions because number one, you know, part of the controversy is in the narrative is can they really live up to it? You know, number two, how is it going to be implemented and done? Number three, you know, as was said earlier, who's going to be the benefactor? The other part of the discourse and the controversy is, is it going to go to the blue states or is this just going to be like anything else going to the red states? Then there's this thing around health care, you know, and, and, the, and the caps around, you know, Medicare and, and the ACA. And, and while I know that those are good things that I've pushed and fought over the years and, and worked, you know, towards those things, is it really going to give us the access that we need? You know, and, and lastly, I, I agree with Rihanna. The other part of the discourse is, do people really know? And number two, do they really care? Because they're tired. So I think there are two controversies here. I think Bishop Dinkins hit on one, 
Um, it is what do we truly consider to be robust, meaningful, benefit all policies. And because this is a climate bill, I think that some um, some advocates, some entities get to compartmentalize, right? So they get to pass climate legislation and feel like it's a win. But when you are sitting in a place where the climate crisis is centralized or environmental just injustices exist, then for us, and I, I borrowed this definition from um, Monique Hardin with Deep South Center, when you think about clean energy, when you think about meaningful climate policy, it can't advance a production or use of energy that will harm communities. It can't perpetuate racially disproportionate pollution burdens, and it can't contribute to the climate crises. And so when you look at this policy, we got to look at it through those lenses. And as was noted, communities will feel sacrificed if any of those things are present. And so the second part is the interpersonal relationships that we as um, individuals representing communities of color um, have with those who sit in a na- in a national space, right? In the in the national green movement, and in that instance, we have a real different definition of what a win is. So, if you are um, a national environmental or green organization and you've been in the streets since Waxman Markey, you feel like this is the best thing since sliced bread. You got to win. You came through on what the funders gave you money to do. Say it. But if you are are an environmental justice group, you like, wait a minute. I know the devil I've been dancing with for the past 30 plus years. Now you have introduced a new player with some of these um, degrading investments, some of these questionable technologies this permitting reform deal, this American Petroleum Institute permitting reform deal that was made that is at its heart going to undermine democratic processes when it comes to determining determining the who, what, where, when, and why Mm -hmm. of what happens in a community of color. Like this ain't a win if you sit in that space. And so if you've been in partnership or allyship with someone who is dancing in the street and they holding up champagne glasses and you trying to figure out how you, you know, organize and respond to, um, quite frankly, an undermining of your power, then, you know, there's some tension there. And I think that is a big controversy to um, to a point uh, I believe was made earlier and that I know you'll get to in the way this was reported, right? Like that nuance is really not being taken into account. Yeah. So I, I want to see a few things happen. Um, so thinking about the bill itself, I want to see, particularly in the policy space, everyone really throw down around implementation and really, really work to get behind frontline communities, right? Um, and leaders to have them really laying out what kind, what is necessary in implementation and then 
I would really love to see policy folks sort of work to amplify that and make that real. Because one of the double-edged swords of the IRA is that it's a reconciliation bill. So it just allocates money. A lot of this money is really ungoverned. There aren't, they don't know what the programs will look like. They don't know the regulations. They don't know the rules. And so the upside of that is that there can be a lot of pressure and tussle around that. So you sort of drag the money in the ways that it needs to go. But that takes an enormous amount of work. And for the folks who really need that to go well, they don't often, like Dana said, have a federal presence, right? And so it's really going to take groups that sort of have connections with agencies, know how this goes to really put in that labor so that implementation goes the way that we would want it to go. So I think that's that's the first thing I think about. Um, the second, like Dana said, is really piecing together a real strong opposition to this permitting bill. We're and really... Uh, the MVP. No. So the part of the compromise was that in exchange for mansion support, right, they are going to approve the Mountain Valley pipeline, along with moving actually jurisdiction over matters to a more fr- a friendlier court, which is really wild. Uh, and also a set of permitting deals, changes to the Clean Water Act to, um, right. There's a set of changes and we really have to oppose that. And I think it's really incumbent on folks in policy who are saying, well, the, the permitting reforms could be good for clean energy to really think about what is necessary for the permitting reform. What, how does permitting need to change to be easier for clean energy in ways that don't benefit fossil fuels and don't just sort of really gut the process by like time limiting it. There's lots of ways to solve a problem. It doesn't have to be this one. Um, So that, and then I think the third, which is just sort of intra movement is we really have to have a come to Jesus moment where, um, where we have a real conversation about one, the difference between harm and having your feelings hurt. Not always the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And right where we can acknowledge that, like, we all have to have empathy and kindness for one another. But there also does have to be real repair and apology for harms that have been done um, and the ways that some folks who have had more power have used their power in a way that ended up being silencing. Right. So I think that out of this for us to move forward, there needs to be a real um, moment and process and lots of conversations about repair and harm and sort of realignment around the, the processes and values of environmental justice that all of us, especially post-2020 and the racial reckoning said we were committed to in the climate movement. Um, how do we actually live that out going forward? Our next uh, clip is from our 25th episode, which was our Respect My Vote episode, uh, which was amazing. It was Reverend Yearwood uh, interviewing uh, Dr. Youssef Salam from the Exonerated Six. And Reggie Weaver from the Hip Hop Caucus. I kind of want you to 
to tell them about the future you're fighting for. I think if they hear that, I think that your credibility, who you are, what you've been through, they, they, they may dig that. They may listen a little different. So tell me and tell them, what's the future you are fighting for? And kind of paint us a picture of who, how, and why. You know what's, what's, what's interesting about um, us as a people, and I'm talking about the totality of us as a people, we've taken the lemons that life has given us and we've made mm. lemonade. Literally, we've made lemonade. We, we, we're drinking lemonade. It might not be sugary. It might not be sweet. It might not have any honey in it. Sometimes it's bitter. Sometimes it might just be just mm. the lemons, right? Depending on what scale of the spectrum you're on. But the beautiful thing about it is that this is us as a people. And in that, we've given ourselves life. Like we've taken these things that give us um, opportunity to still participate, even though it looks like it could be negative, right? And I'm talking about like the, the brothers on the bikes and all of that, right? I love them brothers, man. You know what I'm saying? I love the fact that we have been figuring things out. But imagine if we've gotten an opportunity to still have a participation on a grand level like that. We got a place for it. But then in the, in the community, we're building we're not destroying. We're giving people the opportunity to realize how to live this thing called life, right? We're the originators. And we have to know that, like beyond the shadow of a doubt. We can't just hypothesize or pontificate. We got to be like, we are the ones who created this. And in that truth are all things. We also have to give ourselves an opportunity to Think long term. Like we can't think about, you know, what am I going to do on the weekend? That's how the system wants you to think. We can't think about, you know, do I got a five year plan, a 10 year plan? Listen, it's not enough to have a five year or 10 year plan. I need you to be able to have a lifetime, perhaps a generational plan, intergenerational, expanding generations, because what I need you to do with life that you're given, and this is part of the work that I do as a motivational speaker and also moving into politics and things like that. I want people to be able to see what they want. If you can't see it, you can't be it. If all you've been seeing in, as you look in the mirror of life, then, you know, we, we there was a term or a, a, a scenario coined a while back, mirrors and windows. And I thought it was a beautiful thing once it was described. I said, man, that's exactly what's going on. There's a people who get the opportunity to look in the mirror of life and see themselves reflected everywhere, even the cartoons and the toys and the, the, the books and everything looks like them. And then there's other people who are looking out of the window watching it all pass by. We're on the highway of life and we're trying to figure out how to get in. Just get in. Get in. And, and, and I'm saying that because we need to ensure that there is pressure on both ends. We can't just have pressure in the streets. We can't just have people crying out. We can't just have that. We got to have people in office to effectuate politics, right? 
and I'm looking for my book. I can't I can't find it right away. Uh, matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab I'm gonna grab one off the back because I want to read something to you, and it's really the the idea of what's at stake with regards to the 13th Amendment. And it's not just the 13th Amendment. I might not be able to find it. I, I know it by heart, but I'm trying to read it verbatim. Listen, in my book, Punching the Air, I, I literally read the whole 13th Amendment. That slavery is abolished. It says it like this. It says, slavery is abolished except for the punishment of a crime throughout the whole of the United States and all of its territories. Now, that's the shock. I, I read that in prison and was blown away. Like, what? This can't be real. But that's not even the crux of what is at stake and what's important. Section 2, and Section 2 finds itself all throughout the Constitution. Section 2 says, Congress shall have the power to enforce this article through appropriate legislation. Now we understand those of us who were best in the streets have to use that same mentality of, high, of playing high level chess and not checkers. And we got to enter the boardrooms. We got to enter the White House. We got to enter the Senate. We got to be there because those who have been affected can't have other people telling their story. We have to tell our story. And by we, like those of us who've been part of the, the community of the disenfranchised people, the returned citizens and, and on these shores, man, we could, we could look at each other and know what we're saying without even speaking a word because it's a shared experience. We know where we've been. We know what's important. And this is part of also the secret to life. If you want success in life, Visualize yourself successful. And I'm saying it just as simple as that because it is really just that simple. But I need you to write it down. What are you doing? What are you doing in that moment? And then I need you to step back just one step. What did you do just before you became successful? And I want you to write that down. And I want you to continue that process until you get to the present state of where you currently are. I take young students through this when I'm in college classrooms and I'm talking to the first um, first year students that's in a university specifically. And I take them through that process because when they open their eyes after they go through this meditative state, they are laser focused because they know what they want. I mean, imagine a college student who is full of fear coming into this, this school is already seeing themselves taking the tassel and moving it from one side of the hat to the next. They know what they got to do. They know what's important. They are moving through life on purpose and not moving through life as a mistake. And I'm saying this because the, the, those of us who've had our, our power taken from us, we got to know we could get it back. We got to know all we got to do is say, I refuse to let you continue to treat me the way you treat me. And I'm going to move like I know. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I'm not talking about taking up arms. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about personal power, personal, you know, the, this thing that you have that that's very personal because all of us then will be moving on assignment. All of us have been called and some of us have turned a deaf ear to the call. Some of us are still asleep, but you got to get up. Not only is your life at stake, your mama's life is at stake, your daughter's life, your son's life, your lady's life, your homie's life. All of our lives are at stake because all of us are part of the grand puzzle of life. And if one piece ain't there, we're not complete. How can folks uh, check out Respect My Vote? How can folks vote? (laughs) And how can folks figure out how to get engaged? Yeah, so I'll just take that opportunity just to say a little bit more about some of the tools. So um, simplest way, um, go to respectmyvote.com um, and you will find um, a, n- a number of things. Um, our, our, our platform as an organization um, around democracy and, and other policy concerns as well. Um, you will find there as well um, links um, for you to check your voter registration status. Um, you know, if you've already registered, but, but, but want to make sure that that's up to date. And, and we also know that some of the suppression tactics that have been happening is that voting, voting rolls have been purged. So, so we want to make sure that people um, know that they are registered. Um, if you are not registered, um, you can also register on that site as well. Um, there, there's a link for you to do that. And if you are registered, you can pledge to vote. Um, and, that, and that'll be a way just um, to make that commitment um, and also to to continue to, to receive information from us about um, various policies and just up, upcoming uh, election dates and deadlines. And I also want to, again, reemphasize that that particular tool um, for returning citizens. So, so there's a specific um, emphasis on that page that, you know, if you are someone who um, has a felony record um, and you want to know um, what your voting rights are in your state, um, you, you can you can find that as well. So respectmyvote.com, um, you'll find all of that information. Um, if you want to get in touch with me specifically, um, directly, um, the easiest way would be by email, and that's reggie at hiphopcaucus.org. And for the last clip I'm going to play, it is from our 24th episode, which is called Can't Stop, Won't Stop Part 2. And 2022 was the 18th anniversary of the Hip Hop Caucus. So uh, myself and Destiny Hodges, who was the other amazing producer for The Coolest Show, interviewed Rev Yearwood. And we were able to get just a history lesson uh, about how, you know, just Rev's background, some little known facts that maybe, you know, some folks know, some folks don't. I definitely learned a lot about uh, Rev and just the process going from, college to the military to you know activism you know and and it's just been an amazing journey and i'm honored to have been a part of you know just the small part i have been so far rev is a real rev y'all just let y'all know <laughs> yeah no, not just the he name. went to seminary school he went to seminary yeah, school. yeah yeah, yeah. That's, no yeah facts on sure, that no so sure. when, I, let y'all when know. we get to the hip-hop world story yeah i would mm-hmm. go many places and the number one question i think i've been asked as president of the Hip Hop Caucus, has been, are you a real rev? <laughs> or, or are you Pastor Troy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which one? Which one? Right. Right. If you which know, one? you know. Which one? Uh, which one? You right. Which, right. I, well, I like that. That ain't nothing wrong. Don't go, you know. Yeah. Nothing wrong with Pastor yeah, Troy. But, but I'm a real rev, though. Yeah, yeah, I did yeah. actually, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I know I definitely went, no, it's 100%. Went to seminary. 
uh, went through the whole ordination process. Right. I did speak. I do speak out. I mean, one thing I will say that the my denomination actually, which which would lead me to the Air Force, I wasn't as I would say that I was probably not as ecstatic about where the black church was. Mm. And that actually would lead me to the Air Force. It's kind of weird how that happens, but it would lead me to the Air Force. Um, but one of the things there was that um, my denomination at the time um, would not allow for women to preach. Mm. Mm. And so I would speak out against that. And I just, and then it's, it was a, just a little bit of a, of a battle in that process. But, you know, so that would be that. And also, I just didn't like how at the time, and I, I love, let me be very clear, I love the black church. I think it's a very important institution. I love the black mosque. I think it's a very important institution. I think that, that our our sisters and brothers who are dealing with their African tradition and African religions are very critical. Um, I love them all, and I think we need to have them to be strong because faith and spirituality is critical for our, our, our survival, to be honest. Um, you cannot do this work if you do not have something to pull on. Right. outside of yourself. And so I think that's a critical piece to this. Or you will become evolved, you will become too much just 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 engaged um with the world if you don't have something that you can you can you can you can connect to. And I think that's one of the reasons we are so powerful people. Mm-hmm. That's my thing though. When I saw parts of the black church being usatory and and using faith and spirituality. I was like, I wasn't really with it, but I had gone so far now within seminary that I wanted to um, still use. I began to, this is funny, I don't think people know this, but I was studying to be a biblical archaeologist. I really wanted to go over there to Ethiopia and to Egypt and to just study. Um, That was going to be be my thing Mm -hmm. and and study the the languages there. So, um, So anyways... That's what I was in school for, and then when I was when I joined up with the the Air Force, mm-hmm. it was to continue my education. Mm-hmm. At that time, I have I have a I have a, I have a young family. Obviously, I have River and King; they're very young, and so that's how I got into. I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the the Air Force thing. Mm-hmm. I could do because at that time, the chaplaincy allows you to be much more open, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With with you know, as you, people who know the military, it's yeah. it's not as like you have this one faith you know mm-hmm. you have to give them all so yeah. you can kind of be more and so i was like okay it's a gig i'm gonna do this this is what's happening mm-hmm. i can go to school and then you know obviously at that point in time then the war in iraq is being drummed up yeah right so, yeah what, what you um protested spoke out i did i did speak out i spoke out i would say this to everybody listening uh if you in the military and you speaking out against war, that may not be a great career yeah. move. I mean, that, right. that may not be. You know? No, nah, well, you, well, you already know. I was in the, I was in the Navy during yeah. the uh, Iraq war also, so I definitely understand that uh, doing that, underst- that, that understanding, that mindset. You no, know no. And a lot so, of folks yeah. who were there, particularly, I think, people of color, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Because when I started to speak out against um the war, the, the buildup, actually. Yeah. I when you, you guys in the military, there's a buildup. To, to war, and when the buildup was happening, it was clear that those who would be killed would be primarily black and brown people. Yeah, they were marketing to us to join the military during that time. That's right, one hundred percent. Yeah, and 100%. so that was the thing. So now nah, it was crazy. So I began to speak out, and then 
they would they they would they would challenge me because they were like you speaking out, and then they were like, okay, well you got to go. I started also started to protest outside too. Gotcha. Shout out to Damu Smith, uh, Black Voices for Peace, um, and many things like that, who were sort of folks I saw on the outside, um, who were doing work um, as far as the anti-war movement. That would be a big thing for the evolution of where we also go for the caucus, because one of the things there when I would come out and be protesting. I wouldn't see any black people at the anti-war protest. Mm. Like, wow, it's mostly white people here at the, at these anti-war protests. You know what I mean? But it's really the ones who are gonna be getting killed is black black people mm. um, and brown people over there. And the ones who are gonna be hurt the most by the resources not going to their community are gonna be the black and brown people here. Mm-hmm. Hence the words of Dr. King saying that the bombs dropping in at that time in Vietnam mm-hmm. are also dropping over here because it's the same system right. that's robbing. So, yeah, no, I mean, I began to speak out, but when I started to speak out in the streets, and I was obviously an officer, then mm-hmm. the military decided to go for me, and they 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 tried to court martial me, and do it as call me as a threat to national security, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think that's the moment there, Destiny, when I really began to know, because I had two little ones, mm-hmm. right? River and King are both, um, they're like, maybe maybe they're two, three and one, mm-hmm. right, around that time frame, around that time frame. And, you know, I won't, there, there's obviously, there's, there's trauma when you're doing this work. So there are even things that when you just, think about it kind of just triggers you so one of the things there you realize that at that moment there's this stereotype of this black educated officer in the military Mm. and I had always turned and gone to the people that moment was hard because it wasn't just about me about my kids because mm-hmm. I didn't know even if what I was doing with their outcome mm-hmm. and so I think back on that and it's hard because you know now looking back through the lens you're like oh man we made it but at that point in time I was thinking man my kids you know they may lose their father in this mm-hmm. in this movement stuff right. mm-hmm. I wouldn't even and I was going to these rallies and it was mostly all white people and I was like I'm not even sure if why I'm doing this. Mm. Like I'm out here with a bunch of white people at these anti-war rallies, to be honest, and they they not they not even really my vibe. They like you know I'm not trying to listen. Y'all don't get mad. I'm just saying y'all was fucking with some Birkenstocks and they're looking y'all looking crazy back then and banging on drums and they was like man I don't know what's, I'm out here trying to just, mm. I'm out here talking about fight for black man and y'all going off they got these long discussions and. I'm trying to just stop what's going on, and and I felt alone. I felt I probably 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 the one time I felt super super alone, and so, um, but yeah. Anyways, it was at that moment there that we began to you know move some things forward um, as far as the processing. Yeah, I spoke out against the war, and uh, yeah, mm. rest is history on that one. We we would be in a position where I would win. All of that, and I would be mm-hmm. cleared, but it was a it was a hard moment because I would be put on no fly list. Mm. Yeah, it, it was a tough piece. Nothing but facts. Nothing but facts. Those were some powerful clips, y'all. Um, those were some powerful clips, and that's just the 
light snippet, you know, four clips from this past season. Um, there are 33 episodes and this one right here makes 34. And I thank you all on behalf of the team that meets so many times a week um, <laughs> to get this content together, to plan these interviews, to record. Thank you to our guests. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up and being yourself and feeling uh, you know, free enough to speak your truth and to tell, you know, the people out here what is really going on and how they can get involved and just bring in awareness because that is one of the things that is just, you know, separating our community from these issues is that we just don't know. A lot of folks just don't know. And they don't understand that these issues uh, you know, concern them and their family. One of our goals here at The Coolest Show is to make sure that we are connecting these dots and we are meeting people at their entry point. So I want to thank you all again. Uh, 2022 was a, you know, it was a blessed year. It was a lot of, lot, lot of wins, a lot of losses, but when has that not been the case? So we're going to continue to strive in 2023. We'll be back with season five. We're actually in planning and all that great stuff now. So continue to you know write us media at hiphopcaucus.org. That is media at hiphopcaucus.org. And, you know, hit our social media up, Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram and, um, you know, hit Red Viewerwood up, you know, and just reach out. Just reach out and let us know. Uh, what's going on in your community or, you know, other communities that you've seen or your or stories that you've heard. And definitely we look forward to seeing you next year. Be blessed. And as Rev says, all power to the people. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to repeat. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know. 